0: You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 5720 Ridge Avenue. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 p.m. So I have a good news story for this week. A real estate broker in Chicago paid for 30 hotel rooms to get folks who were living on the street out of this recent cold. There she is. Candace Payne. As you know it was like uh, negative 25 degrees and below in the Midwest this past week and she decided she had to do something about that. She couldn't just let people sleep on the ice. So she booked 30 hotel rooms and mobilized people to help transport these folks to the hotel. And pretty soon other people were donating food and toiletries and paying for more rooms. So the hotel owner even lowered the prices so that they could get more people off the streets. And what started out as 30 rooms doubled to 60. And Ms. Payne was uh, interviewed by the New York Times and she said, I am a regular person. It all sounded like a rich person did this, but I'm just a little black girl from the south side. I thought it was unattainable. But after seeing this and seeing people from all around the world, that just tells me that this is not unattainable. We can all do this together. Practicing this generosity and this love changed something, obviously for the folks um, who got a warm place to sleep, and for her, and for others who were moved to participate. And now she said she wants to organize other more long-term ways of supporting those who are living on the streets of Chicago. I start, I'm starting with a good news story every week. Um, usually about change, because change is possible. And it's kind of nice to hear about it happening in the world, because many of us are trying to make changes in our lives, too. Uh, As I said, I've been reading this book uh, with the other pastors called Desiring the Kingdom by James A.K. Smith. He talks about how there are no neutral practices. He says, all habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. So one of the most important questions we need to ask is, just what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce? And to what end is such a practice aimed? What a great question. Do you need to hear that again? He says, (laughs) now I lost my place. (laughs) All habits and practices are ultimately trying to make us into a certain kind of person. So one of the most important questions we need to ask is what kind of person is this habit or practice trying to produce and to what end is such a practice aimed. We need habits and practices that both signal and shape our core values and our most significant desires. He also notes a lot of research uh, that indicates that only about 5% of our daily activity is the product of conscious, intentional actions that we choose because we have so many influences that are shaping the formation of our automatic unconscious. In other words, there are all sorts of automating There's all sorts of automating going on in our lives that we do not choose, and of which we are not conscious, but shape us anyway. We're trying to follow Jesus together, which means that we're trying to consciously develop habits and practices that point us towards Jesus. We're not just going our own way or being automated by our culture. We need Jesus and some intentional practices to direct our hearts. Uh, even if you're not sure about all of that, I could tell you more if you want to talk about that book. But even if you're not sure about all of that, or even sure about Jesus, that's OK. you're here. So hopefully you can listen for what moves you tonight. Uh, I mentioned a few weeks ago that I needed to start taking uh, quarterly retreats to be alone with God for an extended period of time. This is part of what the pastors do. It's part of my job description even, and I just hadn't made it happen, But, and and I'm making uh, changes too in my life, so I decided this had to be a priority. I scheduled a retreat, and I went a few weeks ago. And I went to this small hermitage in the woods just outside the city. It's a small one-room cabin with a bed and a kitchenette and a bathroom, and it's run by the nuns of the sisters of, of the medical mission sisters. And I had mentioned to the pastors that I was going to do this, and at one point I had called them uh, and left a message, and then emailed, followed up with an email, to reserve a cabin but I had had trouble getting a response. So Ben, one of our other pastors, uh, told me to just call the main desk and he gave me the number that he uses. So I called and I made a reservation and then I got a call back with a confirmation, but they never actually told me which hermitage I was gonna be in. So I called back again and left a message. And uh, then as I was on my way there I remembered that I still didn't know where I was going and where I'd be staying. And this was all, quite honestly, this was all really annoying to me. (laughs) Why why did it have to take so much back and forth? I was already doing a lot of little things that had to change just for me to be able to get away to do this. Um, I didn't want to have, I didn't really have time to pay attention to all of these details. So I was moving along doing what I needed to do and I just wanted the details to be lined up for me. So I call while I'm driving and the woman told me to just pick up the key at the main desk. And I hesitated because I thought I'd actually been to this place before and I've never had to pick up a key. They always leave it in an unlocked uh, cabin and I can just get in and settle in and then leave it there when I leave. I never even had to see or talk to anyone. So I questioned this, but she assured me that the person at the desk would be able to tell me where I would be staying. I even had to ask where the main office was because I don't go to where the nuns stay. I just go to the hermitages. So anyway, all these things seemed odd to me. But I was on the move and I was eager to get there and I was tired and I was later than I wanted to be. And I just didn't stop to think it through. So when I arrived, I went to what I thought looked like the main building. And I went into the woman at the desk telling her that I was here to get the key. And she looked very surprised. Of course, immediately, I knew something was wrong. She said they were not expecting me. I assured her I had made a reservation. I told her every step that I had done. I pulled out my phone to show her the number I had called how many times. And she looked at me and she looked at the number and she said, That's the number for the St. Francis Spirituality Center in Aston. And I was like, (laughs) That's completely in the opposite direction, by the way. I had driven north of the city to Fox Chase, and Aston is south of the city, so it, it was at least an hour away. Of course, my heart sunk. And I was incredulous. I was thinking, I can't, you've gotta be kidding me. I did all this work to make this happen and to get here and I had been talking to the wrong place the whole time. There was no way I was gonna get back in my car at rush hour and drive what surely would have been more than an hour to go somewhere else. I just wanted to rest and I just wanted to be done. So my desperation showed. And she stepped away from me and called Sister Edna and came back to me telling me that there was a hermitage available. So I drove over to meet Sister Edna, uh, who's this small woman with a very warm smile. As she unlocked the cabin for me, I apologized and thanked her profusely. And when she had gone, I realized I I can't even be in this room. I had to leave. I had to go for a walk. I was—I As much as I wanted to be there, I wasn't ready. I was all worked up. My self-condemnation was going. I was retracing all of the steps that I had done and all the details, all the moments when I could have caught my mistake. My adrenaline was pumping. I was defensive about how much work I had done to get there. My body was still in this rushing mode. So I walked for some time until I could settle down and I was already disappointed about how I was starting this retreat. I had high expectations of what I wanted to get out of it and here I was a mess even once I received this gift of the available hermitage. Once all of that started to settle, I realized with gratitude that God was providing for me. And it finally occurred to me that the real gift is that regardless of how this worked out, Jesus is waiting for me wherever I am, not waiting for my striving or my rightness or all the work that I had done. He was there with the gift of his presence. And I think that it took all of these humbling steps to expose what, was, what I was doing, th- that what I was doing, that I thought had been good, um, would leave me missing the point, basically. This is a kind of pattern of automated behaviors in my life. And I really needed this retreat to practice the presence of God in love and being in the presence of God without all of my striving and rushing and self-condemnation and hard work. And this humbling gift of a hermitage that I did not earn was the right place for me to be, and it helped me to realize my pattern, actually, and direct my heart to to what I needed. There's a story uh, in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, of a man that I was relating to. He wasn't trying to go on a retreat, but he was looking for an encounter with Jesus as I was. And he, he had expectations as I did. And he was maybe almost late and he worked really intentionally to do all the right steps. Mark 10:17 says that Jesus started out on his way on the road. He was on the move. Jesus is always going to the next town, to the next person, the next step of his mission. And this man comes running up. It's obvious that he's eager for a conversation and he doesn't want to miss Jesus. He wants to know if he's done all the steps right. He has kept the commandments since he was a child, and he wants to inherit eternal life. Mark doesn't tell us who he is, but Matthew and Luke have this story, too. And they give us details that he's rich and he's young. And he gets Jesus' attention saying, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Or as some translations say, life of the age to come. Jesus understands a lot about this man's heart by his question. And immediately he responds in a way that opens this man up to consider who he's talking to. This isn't really about you anyway. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He isn't denying his own goodness, but he's telling the man to recognize God's goodness and to take his eyes off of himself. God alone is good. This man wants to do the right thing to earn his place in the age to come. And many first century Jews understood that there would be this event that would bring about justice and peace and freedom for Israel and punishment for the evildoers and a time of prosperity when all the prophecies would be fulfilled. In the present age that they were living in, they experienced sin and injustice and oppression, and they were longing for the age to come. In the age to come, all would be different. Many Christians now think of this as heaven, like a place you go when you die. But this is not what the first century Jews believed. N.T. Wright explains that the age to come is the period of time in which God is at last ruling the world as he always wanted to. And the question any Jew who believed this would be asking is, how do I know, how can I be sure that I'm one of those who will inherit the age to come? This man thinks that he's done the right things to get there, but he wants to be sure and Jesus exposes this even more. He says in Mark 10 19 through 22. You know the commandments. You should not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false wit testimony. You shall not defraud honor your father and mother. Teacher he declared all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus goes on to explain to his disciples how hard it is for the rich to get into the kingdom of God. Riches can no more come into the kingdom of God, or to the age to come, either one, than a camel can go through a needle, the eye of a needle. This is a deliberate overstatement to make a point. So what is his point? Um, I don't think this is just about a morality of a life of poverty, or about giving your money to the poor. Of course, Jesus cares about the poor, but... He's showing this man where his heart is directed. He's not loving God with his whole heart. He's trying to earn his worth, his inheritance, his righteousness himself. And when Jesus cites the commandments, he leaves some out. Did you notice that? He starts with his list with um, numbers 6 through 9, murder, adultery, theft, perjury, and he adds an extra one, don't defraud. And then he goes back to number five, honor your parents. He doesn't mention one through four, which are putting God first, no idols, not taking God's name in vain, the Sabbath, and then number 10, the covetousness. I don't think he actually left them out. His instruction to the rich young ruler is this new twist on all of these commands put into practice. He says to sell it all. Trust that God's treasure is stored up for you. And then come follow me. The law of Moses is redefined through Jesus. The kingdom of God is through me, essentially. Turn away from your misplaced worship and follow me. You cannot earn your righteousness. You cannot earn the kingdom of God. I am here. Follow me into life in the kingdom. James Smith, from that book I was talking about earlier, says that the way our love and desire gets aimed in a specific direction is through practices that shape, mold, and direct our love. And Jesus didn't need research to tell them this, obviously. He knew that. He knew that this man needed to put into practice something that would shape his heart, that that would move him away from trying to earn his righteousness and make him conscious of what he was really worshiping and follow Jesus to live into the kingdom of God. Smith says we need habits and practices that both signal and shape our core values and our most significant desires. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday meeting podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our connect dropdown at circleofhope.net.